Hello and welcome to We're Listening, the podcast all about Frasier. I'm Will. And I'm Nigel's brother, Cedric. <laughs> and this week, whilst Key's on the phone to his chin grinder in Zurich, I'm joined by the excellent Steve Mutum to discuss Season 4, Episode 18, Ham Radio, in which Frasier's ill-fated turn as a director results in a KACL catastrophe in a fan-favourite episode. Steve, I want to ask you this week, how often do you frequent the ice cream man in the summer? And that's not a euphemism. You know what? I almost used the, and I'm the ice cream man. So I'm quite <laughs> um, what was my uh, Nigel's brother Cedric joke there? Um, how often do I go? Do you know what? I probably haven't used an ice cream van or an ice cream man in um, quite some time. Probably childhood. Really? Can you remember, like, as your childhood, what would be your, your go-to ice cream fare? It's got to be a 99, hasn't it? You're a 99. The, not, the, 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 the thusly named ice cream that does, does never cost that price for as long as no, I can remember. It costs a lot less than that. In uh, American listeners probably have absolutely no idea what we're talking about. No, <laughs> I, think they call, I think they call it soft serve, don't they? Soft serve in America. Yeah, yeah. Um, that, sort, that sort of thing. The little Mr. Whippy is uh, what we call it here as well. Okay, what about this, Steve? You go into like your local news agents. They've got that big chest, the kind of... What's the Nestle chest of ice lollies? Yes. What do you pick out of the, the classic range? Oh, I'm a firm favourite of the orange Calippo. Oh, and then you get to drink the juice at the end. Exactly. Oh, my God. <laughs> like I, and a drink all in one. <laughs> I love a Calippo. Um, Sorry, I was going to say, I've got to admit, as a Shaun of the Dead fan, I must admit, how many times that someone says, I'm going to the shop, do you want anything? I have to say, yeah, Cornetto. <laughs> Cornetto. Um, I watched watch Shaun of the Dead recently, actually. That's so, uh, that's so funny. Um, but yeah, this week, it's on radio. Super excited that we've finally got to this episode. Um, I don't know listeners will be too. Though, surprisingly, a couple in Listener Mail, this isn't on in their top 10. It's not a big favourite of theirs, which is great. The variety is uh, is exciting, as always. Shall we jump in a trivia corner before we get going? Yeah, and as my uh, previous <laughs> trivia corner results will tell you, the sound of ominous organ music indicating <laughs> trouble ahead. Okay, I'm going to ask you Hamish's questions first, then you can kindly ask me the ones you've devised for myself, and then uh, I'll end with MKs. So, Steve, took yourself in. Trivia sound of trivia door opening. <laughs> <laughs> what was... I can do this <laughs> What was the very first line of the episode? Mm, and we've just been talking about how well we know the script this episode so here's a real tasty one from Hamish well, you know what the script of the episode yeah but I mean it's in Nervosa isn't it I think the opening scene is it Nervosa is. it's Martin and Niall sitting down they're having a coffee and Frasier walks in but do you know what I couldn't tell you the first line of the show Frasier actually it begins with him at the counter while they're behind him and he says you know I've only got a moment this is and he walks over to um actually I, am I miss? Maybe he says this, and then he goes and orders his coffee. He says, "You know, I've only got a moment. I've started a very exciting project. That's what I have here in my head for some reason. I I, I can hear him ordering the coffee." Um, yeah, no, do you know what? I, I presumed, yeah, I, I can remember him, and I only watched this a couple of hours ago, walking in and pretty much walking straight to their table, but you're right, he does go and get a coffee. There we go. So that is uh, that is our question from Hamley um, to get things going. Question two from our man down under. Which cast member has this episode down as their favourite where they had the most fun recording Jane Leaves, Kelsey Grammer or Dan Butler? Do you know what? It's a very tough call. I know it's not Jane Leaves. I'm pretty certain it's not Jane Leaves. Kelsey has said in interviews in the past it's his favourite episode. 
Mm. However, Dan Butler has also said that he finds it absolutely brilliant. It's one of his favourite episodes to record. So I'm going to have to gamble, unless it's a joint answer, and it's all three, I'm going to go with Kelsey. It is Kelsey. Well done. And uh, Hamish tells us here that this episode apparently had the most bloopers and retakes due to the cast laughing. There yeah, we go. I bet. Um, just consulting KACL scripts online as well. It has Frasier ordering a tall skinny to go, but it, it has that in the stage directions rather than as Do you know a... what? Do you know what? I did the coffee count, didn't I? Mm-hmm. Okay, this was a few weeks ago. And I noted, Dan, that Niles and Martin had a coffee on the table. He does order a tall skinny to go. And do you notice how he gets it? In a paper bloody bag. In a paper bag. So it doesn't count on the, on the coffee count. With a coffee in it. Tell me how. You, and it's not one with the handles on the top. It's just a paper bag with the top folded over. So I presume they just poured it in the paper bag and out he walked. Have they not put like, the disposable cup in the paper bag? You don't see that. You just see a paper bag. And I mean, food. that must be what we're led to believe. Otherwise, it's just liquid sloshing around in a brown paper bag. But when um, what's the is there? There's an episode with him and Kate Costas, and they have takeaway coffees, don't they? At Navosa, him and Roz, yeah. And they're in Navosa takeout cups in a cup holder. So why didn't you get a cup holder or just take the cup with him? Why is it in a paper bag? Who who can say? Who anyway? I've got off on one. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> also, I should say to listeners, apologies. I have a bit of a throat infection, which is why I sound ridiculous. I sound a little bit like I've got Novocaine um, injected into my face. Um, instead, cheese fellow. What was supposed to come out of Roz's mouth when delivering her line about the inspector? I believe an exotic accent. Absolutely, a hint of some exotic accent. Um, excellent stuff, Steve. Trivia from no- Niles Crane. What colour is Niles' coffee thermos? Red. Yes, it is. Good one. Good one, Marla. What's that for? Keeps my coffee warm. <laughs> um, trivia from BB Glazer. When Mel, the professional actor, quits during the rehearsal, what does he angrily mention that were Frasier's critiques of his performances? I love this. Right, okay, he's Protestant sounded too Catholic, is it? His Irishman sounded more <laughs> Protestant than Catholic. Yeah. Right. Uh, his German sounded more Austrian. Yes. Um, dwarf sounded too tall. Yep, and there's one more. And I think I think the it's the sister wasn't spinster enough. Yeah, there we go. Absolutely not about the park. And even better, I didn't have the German being Austrian actually written down here as yeah. an answer, and I it, that is completely true. So excellent stuff. Um, just seeing off this little corner of trivia corner this week is trivia from Mrs. Guzman Crane. What was it that the Yale Daily News said about Nars's tar- tartufle? Tartufle, I can't remember the tartufle, tartufle. Can't remember you know the name what? of this character. I nearly wrote this as a question for you of what three actors do they mention? And I think oh. it's Mar- Marlon Brando. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it is, but I'm going to say Warren Beatty. <laughs> Almost. <laughs> and James Dean. I don't know. I can't remember now. I mean, they're, they're, they're as good a guess as any. It's he had the magnetism of Marlon Brando, the charm of Danny Kay, and the range of, of course, Lawrence Olivier. That's it. Um, so there we go. Some excellent questions there. I can see people really getting into the spirit of this episode. Um, some some lovely stuff there. Do you want to level your questions at me, Steve? Well, one part of one of the questions has already gone because we now do know that. Uh, Noel has a coffee thermos, but can you name all of all the seven sound effects that Noel has on his board? Oh, okay. Well, 
Firstly, adore the question. Um, the door let, is the first one. <laughs> let me see. So the door, the gravel box. Gravel box. The balloons for the gunshots. For gunshots. Uh, there's a bell. There is bells. Um, there is the organ music. Does that count? Organ music is there. Um, two more. Two more. Uh, the thunder, thunder sheet. Thunder screen is one of them, and, and one last one. And the stick for making the rain sounds. Rain stick, and I had yes. plus one if you named the eighth, and it would have been coffee thermos, but that's coffee gone. Thermos. <laughs> Excellent um, stuff. Love that. Question number two. When the phone rings in the studio during recording, no one answers with which phrase? Does he say, hello, Studio 5? He does. Studio yes! <laughs> I never get any questions right in Trivia Corner. What's that? The phone's working again? No, it's not. <laughs> oh, no, it's gone again. <laughs> and uh, question number three. When Daphne and Martin are listening to the broadcast at, at uh, 1901, where is Eddie? I believe he's in the Eames chair. In the Eames chair. Oh, three out of three, my God. Right? The last time I got three out of three must have been about, I don't know, 50 episodes ago. Honestly. <laughs> I know. I hope. I hope Key is listening to this because he's going to think, "What on earth?" Um, some excellent questions there, Steve. Love those. So let me bring Trivia Corner to a close by asking you, MKs, for uh, for Ham Radio. How long is Fraser's original draft of Nightmare in? This is excellent, and you can work it out by I... two pieces of information that he yeah. that he gives us. One of the drafts, he says it's down to 32 minutes. He needs to skip another two minutes out. So he cuts one of the speeches, which means um, Gil doesn't get to say Gesundheit, <laughs> um, which apparently shows quite a lot about his character. Shows he's um, a caring person. I think he cuts it down 20 minutes. So I'm saying 52 minutes originally. I think oh. he cuts it down 20 minutes and then trims another two. Steve, you are so painfully close. No, no, no. It's 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 less. I like. I know the logic you've gone down, but it, it's if it's simpler than that. It's fifty minutes. So basically, he's allocated thirty minutes for the slot, right. and he's had to cut twenty. But then he does say he's had to cut twenty minutes, and then the timer does say it's thirty-two minutes. So that we don't question MKs like a black. We never ball. ever question MK. MK will be able to tell us why we're wrong there for certain. Yeah. But I I know what you're saying because he does say it's now at 32 minutes, and if he's already cut it by 20, that he does probably, take yeah, us to 52. I, I think MK is probably right. Well, he is right, but let's face it. I think what he's done is he said it's 50 minutes. He's cut 20 off, but then he says I need to cut 20. I need to cut another two, which is why I've added the two. Yeah. Yeah, so maybe, maybe, yeah, yeah, completely. Either way, it's 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 fifty. It's what's written down here. If MK is right, he's right, and he's right in every episode we record. So God bless you, MK. <laughs> Question two from the Corey Meister. Nars laments having to play six different parts, but of his six charges, we only hear four of the voices. Which two characters, while mentioned in the script, never actually speak during the portions of the play we're privy to? I love this question. Oh. Okay, so he plays Hans Javol. Javol. The German butler. The he German plays butler. O'Toole, which I can't do an Irish accent. Oh, it's, it's, to be sure. Oh, it <laughs> is. Says, oh, no mistake. <laughs> um, he plays a McAllister sister who was, oh, was old, taking a breath of fresh air. Taking a breath of air. And um, he was also at the movies. 
I don't know who it's Pepper. Sorry, that sounded tall. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so can you name the two characters who he doesn't voice? Paul Cragen, the brutish gamekeeper. Yeah, um, a little on the nose. Oh, do you know what? It's got to be the other McAllister sister, hasn't it? It's the second McAllister sister who's what, never what given a, a name. Um, the other one. <laughs> it's you get one, you get that other one. Um, amazing. So well done for getting that and and for answering such a superb question as well. I think you're going to like this next one, Steve, a, a lot. This will really uh, get those little grey cells moving, as as Poirot would say. In the final broadcasted version of Nightmare Inn, what is the order in which the characters are killed off, and how many total bullets were required to do? The deed. Absolutely incredible for listeners at home playing along. Here. I don't know what, if I get this right, I would be amazed. I'm probably going to fall at the first hurdle. I believe... The first one's hard, I think. First person shot. Oh, okay. I almost don't... Okay. Because there's so many answers here, if you do fall at the first hurdle, I'm going to give you a little clue to get you back on the horse. Can I guess them in any order? I think the last one's called Carlotta Thorndike. I mean, we need the order, and I'm afraid Carlotta is third from last. Right. Two, how many, more, how... two more people. Like, I'm gonna take it. I'll tell you how many people are killed. It's got to be five or six. Eleven people are shot in oh, this. Cool. Eleven people are shot during the recording of this uh, of this episode. <laughs> Honestly, I love this question so much, Corey. Oh my god! Lucky, so I have got some of the names written down, but the okay. Order... I'm going I'm I'm to get you started, mate. I'm going to get you started. The first person to die, Nigel Fairservice. He's second. He takes the... a lot of shooting as well. Three he bullets. Does. Okay, so there we go. We needed that. Three bullets is correct for Nigel. So try and keep a mental count okay. of the bullets. Right, okay. Wait, don't tell me the first one then. So okay. if he's second, who dies before fair service? It's not Cedric or the Ice Cream Man, is it? <laughs> They have to come after, don't they? If you think about the uh, the, plot. Guys, not the final member, right? Okay, yeah. so I'm not going to get the first one. I'm, I'm just going to have to have a random guess. Is it? Let me let me give you a quick clue. They are unable to name their killer, according to Frasier. Oh, does it sound? Hold on. Does it sound like this? <laughs> is that a bell ringing? <laughs> I don't know. They, I mean, the uh, Mike will pick that up, but that is Mr. Wing, possibly. The, it's honestly, this is so hard because he's the second person that's killed who's unable to name their killer. Sorry, not second. I'm making it so confusing. The first person to get killed is the maid when the lights go out. Of course. She has and a nug. Yes. She's dead. The Nigel Fairservice lies mortally wounded. So let's keep track of the bullets here. One bullet for the maid, three bullets for Fairservice, which you've already named. Yep. Now, can you talk me through who's killed and how many bullets? Not in order. Don't go in order, just name them. So, two people, one bullet is the McAllister sisters. Yep, so we've got how many bullets so far? That brings us up to five. Yep. I would presume Hans. He's the last person to die. Thorndike is yep. one. Peppo. Yep. Mr. Wing. Mr. Wing. I've said Thorndike, McAllister sisters. Bull Cragen. Bull Cragen. I hope you're keeping a note. <laughs> I've got, for, fortunately, I've got a list of the uh, the, the number the of shots. The ice cream man. The ice cream man. Cedric. Cedric, and there's one more. Dies with him. Bang. He is Hans. You've already named him. 
I did myself a no mistake. Out all. Um, so the order for those who want to play along at home, the maid, Nigel, Stedrick, the ice cream man, O'Toole, Cragen, Peppo, both McAllister sisters, Mrs. Thorndike, Mr. Wing, and Hans. For a total of, unlucky for some, 13 bullets. Um, 13 what an incredible question. Um, yeah, it's just... Probably... I, I, sorry to anybody who's submitted a question in the past. It's probably one of the best questions I've Absolutely ever. Absolutely sublime. Um, people and I failed it badly. <laughs> oh no! People playing along at home will have so much fun with that. Um, trivia from Run for Your Life now. According to IMDb, Ham Radio is the second highest rated episode of the entire series. Firstly, out of ten, can you guess what the score is? And secondly, have a guess of what the highest rated episode is. I love this. I believe it's 9.4. Yes, it is. Wow, Doug. I it earlier. <laughs> oh, I'm no. So sorry. Yeah, no, I, I no, do. No, don't apologize. If, you, if, you, if, you, if you've looked at on IMDb by chance, then that's, you know, you've had to remember yeah. that. What do you reckon but the highest episode higher? is and what score does it have? I'm going to guess 9.6. Oh, my God. Yes, it is. Is it? Yeah. Moondance? Oh, it's the ski lodge. The ski you know what? I don't know lodge. what. I thought everyone fell in love with Niles and Daphne and that was me. Yeah, ski lodge. I know that's a high rating. The ski lodge is so good. But I, I mean, unbelievable to get the IMDb scores there, Steve. Um, finally, trivia from new trivia master Gunnar, um, which I absolutely... I, what a great name because I always on the podcast, I was like, Gunnar? <laughs> Are they from Bavaria? Bavaria. Gunnar. Um Oh no, damn it, Gunnar! We've we've taken his question during the live broadcast. How does Noel answer the phone? Studio Five. I'm sorry, um, Gunnar. And he's a new trivia master. Oh well, he's learning that this is a uh, or, or she that this is a um. It comes with the territory of trivia corner. Everyone is so great that the overlap is is significant. I'm guessing that Gunnar will never call me their little liver dumpling now. So I'm sorry. <laughs> you ruin those sorry. chances forever, Steve. Um, amazing trivia corner. Thank you, everyone who who wrote in this week, and uh, keep them coming as always. Um, now for the episode, the review, Ham Radio, the moment we've been waiting for for four seasons now. What was the animation, please, Steve? It, cloud and rain. Yeah, which I I love. One of my favourites. A very apt for me. A favourite animation for a favourite episode. I like it. I'm not sure it should be on that episode. Why would we not have Thunder? Sort of Nightmare in kind of... You mean like the the, the lightning bolt, maybe? Yeah. And maybe Cloud and Rain goes or something like My Coffee with Niles, which has got rain in it. Do you know what I mean? It's almost... Again, it's just a strange one that they've put certain animations over different different episodes it should definitely be on my coffee of nars i do love the entrance theme to this one very very yeah. short isn't it just that dun 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 straight in straight into uh nervosa nice. um i mean speaking of nervosa the coffee can I, I i've got no idea where we are with this it's been so long since we've put an episode out which listeners were so sorry about um i think oh, we're no, almost, i know we're north of a hundred now but there's technically three in this. Martin and Niles have already got one on the table, and obviously we've got the uh, the irritating one that I moaned about a little while ago. The, the takeout for Fraser is in a the paper bag. bag. Hence, um, I remember specifically the paper bag. <laughs> I'm going to put the three down here, and then when I don't know when you're reading out a listener mail later, Steve, I'll go back and try and find the last figure. Um, probably only an episode or two ago, so it shouldn't be too hard to find. Um, it's KACL's fiftieth anniversary, um, so that means. 
it would have started, you know, I don't know what in the forties. I'd, I'd say it's nineteen forty six. Yeah, so just kind of just post war. Yeah, the episode's ninety six. I get, I believe, might be ninety seven. Mm. Actually, season four, isn't it? Nineteen ninety seven. I reckon. I mean, correct me if you think I'm completely wrong here, but I would have thought they'd have done something a little bit more special than simply ask one of their on-air talent to host an old, you know, mystery theatre horror thriller thing. I don't know. It feels like, also, you know, I don't know. It's it's more strange that they did that, but only one on-air t- or two on-air talent. You've got Bulldog and Frasier, but mm. then you've got was a producer. Um, oh no, sorry, I'll take it back. Gil. Then you've got Bulldog's girlfriend, Maxine. She's not even an employee. Yeah. You've got Mel, who was going to come on, Mel White. Um, he's the husband of, is it Jennifer in accounting or Jenny in accounting? Some very, very tenuous link there. Yeah. Um, and you've got Noel, who again works in, is it the accounts department? And he's going to do the sound effects. Doesn't really sound like an all-star cast for a 50th it's, anniversary. It's a bit of a hodgepodge, isn't it? Um, but ultimately, you know, Frasier takes this on. Um, I'd love to know from listeners if there are any kind of live radio drama fans out there, you know. The only real radio drama we have here, BBC4, Radio 4, to be fair, do do a lot of, of cool little spin-offs and things, but The Archers is obviously the, the mainstay in the UK. It's, it's massive um, as well. You know, a huge, huge soap opera that's been running for God knows how many decades now. Um, people of Martin's generation, we were a simple people. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to hear from any of them who might still listen. Um, I mean, I like I like This American Life. Um, it's it's not quite radio drama, but they've done some things akin to that. Um, I think that airs on, I think it used to air on uh, NPR or something in America, but uh, I think it's a Chicago-based one now. That's the closest I've got, so I'd be I'd be interested to know from listeners if they sit around the radio like Martin and Daphne do with some popcorn and and listen in. I mean, you you listen to to baseball on the radio, Steve? I do. I watch it if I can. Um, I, I normally only listen to it now if I'm out in the car. Um, but yeah, I do watch it as well. Um, but radio. I mean, I listen to the radio every morning going into work and every morning uh, every afternoon coming home. Radio two is on in my. My truck going to and from work every single day. I was about um, to ask what your your station of choice was, but you answered. Yeah, it, so. well, I used to be a big pop quiz fan on the uh, Ken oh, Brucey. Pop, pop mass is the best. It doesn't fit in with my uh, working schedule at the moment. I'm not in the van at ten thirty and quarter to eleven when I used to be for both oh, rounds. No. I used to really enjoy listening to it. So yeah, pop mass is great. It makes you really nostalgic for going on a holiday because um, we always right. listen to it when we're out and about. Um, Fraser Crane's Nightmare Inn. It's a working title, of course. Just a working title. title, But uh, the Orson Welles complex is already starting to uh, get into motion here. Have you seen Citizen Kane? I haven't, but I have made a meme of Citizen Crane with Niles' face over it before, if that's any... Amazing. People listening will have seen that, and that's even even better. Um, Listeners will know that Key has got some very strong opinions on... Citizen Kane, he thinks it's terrible. Um, I've not seen it, but you know, it is a much lauded piece of cinema, and I don't want to upset any American cinephiles that are listening, but uh, there you go. Um, we learned something very important now from Frasier, but perhaps not particularly useful to the woman that phoned in with her paranoia, which is is what, Steve? Is it that you never know what's lurking in the shadows, by chance? The delivery of that line, I think, probably gets the biggest laugh out of me every time I rewatch this episode. It's just like he goes fully like villainous, doesn't he? There is. Right, okay, so a bit of trivia behind that. Fraser reminds his audience, this is on IMDb, sorry mm. to read it out, 
He reminds his audience to listen to the upcoming radio drama Nightmare Inn by adopting an ominous voice and saying you'll never know what's lurking in the shadows. This is a nod to the 1930s radio drama The Shadow, where actor Frank Reddick would intone the show's introduction in a similar manner. He used to say, who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of the men? The Shadow knows. Ah, there we go. That's why he does that weird impression, and they've obviously adjusted it, I presume, for copyright reasons or something else. But it's a little subtle nod back to that. So oh, I like that a lot, um, and I had I had heard of the Shadow actually, but Ooh. only because it has a link, tenuous link to a video game I used to play. So there you go. <laughs> um, I, I was trying to. We get like the first delicious snatch now of Gil's legendary speech, arguably the most kind of iconic part of this episode, I would say. I'm, I was trying to fathom why their hedgerows would, uh, and you know, of Nigel's toilet childhood would ever be relevant to his backstory. But then obviously the answer comes later because he's saying this while he's dying. But initially I was like, well, why would this ever be necessary? The weird thing is when he keeps saying about his boyhood in Surrey is he keeps talking about fens and spinnies. And I can't really remember the, the, who put this online once before when someone said, is Surrey famous for its fens and spinnies? And most people actually replied, "No, it's not. It's got. No. It's uh, it, it's more of a Norfolk thing." <laughs> yeah, I was about to say that the the fens are like East Anglia. You know, that's where. Yeah, that's it's where not a Surrey thing at all. But I presume Surrey just sounds more posh than saying, "Do you know what I mean?" My uh, childhood in Norfolk wouldn't mm. have the same ring. Um, I don't actually know where Gill's from. He, he's obviously British, isn't he? His phony British accent, apparently. But um. Whether he's actually supposed to be from around Surrey, does it sound posher? Is it more upmarket to be from Surrey than Norfolk, Norwich? Probably. Maybe. A um, little bit of uh, yeah, British geography getting uh, lost amongst the fens and spinnies, um, <laughs> as it were. So the uh, the excellent the excellent man who wants to read for the inspector is turned away in the in the corridor now. Kind of a crying shame we never get to see him do the role. He looks literally like Sherlock Holmes. I mean, that's the point, isn't it? He's got the pipe and. It's no. it's an interesting bit part for that character, isn't it? And I th- mm. is it is a guy called Jack Bett, I think he is, and he is in quite right. a few other sitcoms. But to read one line, which he means, just can you just walk down the halls of KACL and say, <laughs> "I was thinking of no, sorry, it's been taken." <laughs> Off he goes. That's it. What I mean, what an actor to do that. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, and who knows what might have been had he actually read for the part, but. Uh... In the meantime, the, the KACL chums are all over at 1901. It's always a treat, I think, when we get them all in, in Fraser's apartment and we have that kind of ensemble episode that this quickly turns into. Um, now, listeners probably, so quite a lot of our listeners might not have got this pun, which you have explained to me before, and I love this. Tell us why he's called Mel White. Okay, so Mel White is a play on the name Mel Blanc. Uh, who was very well is very very famous and he's actually the person behind a lot of names and voices that everyone knows so really we should all know mr mel blanc because he's the voice of every looney tunes character basically bugs bunny daffy duck porky pig you name them alma fudd yeah pretty much all of them he was a massive massive voice actor and obviously they decided that he was the man of a million voices which is why then obviously mel white was the man of a million voices in this episode so absolutely amazing like the, when i first learned that and I'm, I'm almost certain it was from you um bit of a head exploding kind of moment um because i'm a self-avowed huge looney tunes fan um big big fan for the longest time you could watch like a four-hour compilation on prime video um yeah just 
had loads of like my favorites that I watched when I was at my nan's house and stuff as a as a kid and oh yeah Looney Tunes is the best I would love to know from listeners who your favorite Looney Tunes character was I'm a big Daffy Duck fan myself Steve where do you cast your lot you know what I mean Bugs Bunny Elmer Fudd like you say I mean it's just I love Alma Fudd. Like a lot of people say, who who uh, who knew much about opera before they started watching Looney Tunes? Because nearly all of my operatic knowledge <laughs> is from watching Looney Tunes. Well, I want to so, see you in in what's the it's po- Timberland's Polo and Bauer, Eddie Eddie Bauer. You look like a skinny Alma Fudd. I want to see that at some point um, from from breaking the ice. Um, just, so, on the topic of when you say about the writing, obviously, um, I don't even know who wrote this episode. I actually haven't looked. No, I don't know. It's David Lloyd. Really? One of so the, one he of was the, uh... famous for writing a lot of Mary Tyler Moore, Bob Newitt Show, Taxi, Wings, Cheers, and obviously Fraser episodes. I think he won 10 or 11, maybe even 12 Emmys for, for work on shows such as Fraser. But he's actually the father of the producer Christopher Lloyd, which is not related to anyone who's starting Back to the Future. Mm. Christopher Lloyd obviously being an executive producer through all of Frasier. And yeah, that's his dad. David Lloyd is the writer. So uh-huh. we can we can give him a lot of credit for obviously the Mel Mel White, Mel Blanc thing and obviously putting together I wouldn't say this is a farce, but it has got farcical moments. Definitely got farcical elements, yeah. Um Frasier cuts okay, just a slight inc incongru- what's the word? Um incongruous. I'm Small trying to word. think of, it's Small like word. incongruous in, incredulity, if that if that is even a word. Frasier cuts 20 minutes of the play, which he says to, to Gil, but then he knows immediately which of Nigel's lines has been cut, which is the sneeze. If he's cut 20 minutes, I'm guessing more than one of Nigel's lines will have been gone. I can't remember what the line is before that. He says, I'm sorry, Gil, I've cut one of your lines. And he says, which one? And he says, it's the one just... And he says... What the one where I don't oh. say right? that says so much about my character. He does say that. He does say that. He does contextualize it so that answers that question. Because I was he, like, how? Yeah. How does he know immediately? He then says, "As long as you've kept my boyhood in Surrey," and he says, "Yes, I have, of course, I have." And he goes back to my childhood, romping in the fence and romping in the school drums. He sits down uh, next to Bulldog, who is less than impressed. Um, so we begin the read through now. Ross, of course, beginning with cheese in her mouth and it's spilling out. Um, bulldog kind of corpsing at Wang, sound of people changing Wangs to wings. I mean, um, Daphne's delivery of even that, isn't it? Sound of people changing Wangs to wings. Wangs to wings. <laughs> like, she, she just, the way she deals with Fraser's kind of constant condescension in this episode as well, it's just like yeah. superb. She doesn't have much to do, but she does it well. The way he says, can you read the uh, stage directions? I'll try. I'll try. Um, <laughs> <I'll> try. <laughs> Chinese embassy on line one now, um, because... I Mr. did, Whit- I did so, write this quote down, I'm afraid. Me go Betty by Chop Chop. Me go Betty by Chop Chop. Absolutely. I mean, saying the line is offensive in its own way, but at least we're not doing the accent. We're just reading a line from a script. Bulldog takes it a step further and certainly would have. Yeah, you just he just wouldn't have uh, wouldn't have been able to air that, especially not for a 50th anniversary. But there we are. It's not the first time Bulldog's done a, let's say, Far Eastern Chinese, you know, maybe Asian accent. He did the. uh, is it the I like my duck extra crispy? Always um, extra crispy. Yeah, Peking like, duck is always extra crispy. Powers and you're like, Powers, that's just it. doing that accent. I mean, I'm sorry to anyone listening that I've just done it, but um, 
my impressions of Bulldog. But yeah, he, he's done it before, and there's several jokes in that way that, like you say, just would not work now. 30 years no, on, it, it's not uh, appropriate it, at all. It's, it's certainly not. Um, where was Nigel Fair's service when this dreadful tragedy occurred? Do you know what? You've got me. No me. way! I thought I, oh, no, I asked this as kind of a little light-hearted thing, but I could have had this as a genuine question. Yeah, he says blank when this dreadful tragedy occurred. No God! Oh, <laughs> he was. I was strolling in the garden when this dreadful tragedy occurred. He was uh, taking a little walk. Well, I mean, this is an inn on the moors. I'm, I'm not really sure why. You know, do, do things on the moors even have gardens, or is it just like wild lands surrounding them? There's a local cinema because Peppo goes there. So, yeah, what's that about? I was at the movies. One of the, that's probably the most kind of anachronistic line from the entire play. It makes absolutely no sense, but there we are. Um. The delivery now, Frazier's obviously fully Orson Welles at this point. The way he stops Mel and says, you know, that's wonderful, Mel. And you just like the laugh track comes in. You know, he's about to just say something really offensive and terrible. I just think the whole, I just think the fact they got a professional in and had him butt heads with Frazier is like such an underrated part of this episode. It is, but I have to criticize the fact they say that Mel is a voice actor and then he comes to say, I've done that accent on Broadway and the London stage. Yeah. That would say that he's actually not just a voice actor. He's, he's an actor, actor. actor. He yeah. does voices, but he is an actor, obviously. And he's world-renowned if he's been travelling to London and to Broadway. But yeah. they obviously have different standards than Frasier does. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, that's a good point, actually, the, the Broadway and London stage. I'd love to I'd love to know what else he's been in. Um, you know, this 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 chameleonic actor in our midst, you know, isn't it wonderful to be working with a professional, as as Frazier says. Um now it's try to work from reality from the dwarf's entrance. <laughs> um, <laughs> which is a line I'd missed in previous watches of this episode. It really got me. Um but he phones up Niles now because Mal has obviously stormed out, you know. How's my hands? I give it, and he's well, gone. I love oh, that. Yeah. I mean, I love the fact that Ros goes, and where are you going to get an idiot ready to attack on that? And he just goes, Niles, Niles, <laughs> <laughs> who shows up. Um, this is like I don't think this is deliberate, and this is this is me making a connection where I don't think there is one, but I think it's interesting nevertheless. Um, a f- what Noel is doing in this episode, and a lot of people will already know this, I think. The the people that make the sound effects out of like actual analog materials, mm-hmm. they're called a foley artist. They are indeed. Yeah. Called a foley, so like yeah. you know, foley, Noley, Noley artist. It's not really a connection, yeah. but like you know, you take the the way it's spelled, it's spelled like Noel, but with an F. Um, you yeah. know, I just think there's a little bit of a, a symmetry there, even if it's not deliberate. And I Maybe can't take be a bit more clever again though. Maybe. I can't take credit for that, actually, as well, because when I was at uni, um, I showed this episode to a friend of mine, Ella Cunningham, uh, who won't be listening, but I'm going to name her and give her credit anyway. And uh, she came up with this little connection, and I was like, you know what, Ella, that is bloody good, whether or not it was intentional. So There's actually another thing that Noel does in the episode. It's actually in the ending credits, which I know I'm skipping ahead a bit, but we'll go back. He actually lays the paperwork out when he's, you know, in the end credits, he does his own little acting. And I think Roz makes him jump from behind with a balloon or something like that. Yes. He's pretending to read it out. He actually puts all the paperwork to the right of the microphone. I think most of it's spread out. And that's actually a thing that they really do. So you can't hear paper rustling. So So the writers or producers actually did make him do what they would do in a radio 
sort of voice show. So, back can, the... so when he changes sheet, you don't hear it. It falls to oh. the right, out of the way of the microphone. So that's so good. I love that. I love that. Nice little bit of, uh, nice little bit of, what is it? I can't think of the word. A kind of showbiz inside secret or something. Yeah, that's tucked in there. That probably most people watching a sitcom didn't an care East, about. An Easter egg. An Easter egg. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Speaking of, I've got a couple here to tuck into <laughs> while we're while we're recording. Um, the thermos keeps his coffee warm. Always gets me. Just keeps my coffee warm. He just reminds me of like Millhouse or like I don't know. No, no like Ralph Wiggum. I think just the, the delivery is so innocent of that line. Um, no, and Noel is a simple person, isn't he? He, really he is, is, but credit to Noel, I think he's probably the most competent member of this entire crew at the point. Like his timing with all of the pieces is amazing, and like not to skip to the end, but his improvising of of shaking Wings Bow and he's killed. I can nurse. Yeah, I don't think it's not the mic isn't picking it up for some reason. But oh, no, I don't think. Steve was just ringing his own little bell there. Um, just unbelievable improvisation. I think Noel does a wonderful job here for supposedly the station idiot. I must admit, you, I mean, you saying about that, but I actually think the little nod, wink, and the point that comes from Niles when he does that, he says, oh, and Mr. Wing. Yes. That's building it, and Niles literally, I know that people can't see us and we can see each other, but the way he just goes... Brilliant. Yeah, doing it. Yeah. Well done. Thanks for that. That helps with the production. You think, Niles, why do you care? You're killing everyone off. Exactly. Like even Niles appreciates. Like what you just did yeah. was above and beyond. <laughs> yeah, you know, you've you saved. Did, you, you didn't have to commit to that, but you did. Um, speaking of Niles, when Maxine comes comes to the um, to the booth now, she goes up to the booth to practice her line, much to Fraser's kind of you know bewilderment because it's only a, it's only one line. Um, Bulldog is trying to remember, ironically, what the word for dyslexia is. And Niall says distemper. And yep. like it gets quite a big laugh from the audience. What I don't understand what the joke is. Right. Have I missed oh, something? Uh, yeah. Let okay, me uh, good. let me get up the oh, canine distemper is something that affects Oh my god. So with it being Bulldog, his girlfriend dis 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 distemper. Of course you'd know that Ooh. as well. You're like a you know a canine expert. Um that is so good. That's so good. I'm so glad that I asked and you were able to answer that because like I'd I'd never have I'd never yeah. have known that. Um Roz arrives, she spent two hours in the dentist's chair. Have you ever had kind of numbing in the face? Um again, it's not free. I have a tooth out. Wow, That's there we go. Years ago. Oh, that wasn't very polite, you know, nice for you to see. Oh, but... my, we're old friends, I don't mind. Yeah. <laughs> For listeners, I have just shown Will a gap in my teeth. Um, <laughs> Sound of Steve showing gap in mouth. <laughs> Sound of whistle coming through gap in teeth. Um, yeah, but to be fair, I was back out of that quite easily. Um, do you know what? It's actually probably one of the best dental things I've ever had done. I had four wisdom teeth taken out in one go, and I felt like someone had wired my jaw shut. Um, I didn't eat for about a week. My throat, my my mouth was cut. It was so painful. It was absolutely hideous. I do not recommend anyone has four wisdom teeth taken out in one go by the by, by a, not even by a dentist by a hospital because mm. I think they're a bit more butchery than than dentists. So I apologise to anyone who works in the NHS or does teeth at the hospital, but it was uh, not good. Um, but the one I had, you know, obviously it's closer to the front of my mouth. They literally just numbed my mouth, took it out. I went home. I I did get my dad to come and pick me up and drive me home. But to be fair, yeah, I, I thought that was actually one of the easiest things I've ever had done by a dentist. It was um, pain-free, even afterwards, pain-free. Never felt a thing, never felt anything horrible at all. So, 
Yeah, but um, I wouldn't imagine Novocaine that she has. I think she, I presume she has a root canal done. She mm. says it's emergency surgery. Um, so I presume she snaps a tooth or breaks a tooth and doesn't look good, doesn't feel good, obviously. Very, very painful indeed. Very high as well, doesn't she? She comes in very uh, mumbly. Novocaine, I keep biting my whip. No, <laughs> I mean, ironically, she sounds like Alma Fudd, um, yeah. who, we've, you know, who we've already spoken about. Yeah, I think I've had one filling and it was very minor and it was years ago, about 10 years ago. And I don't think I was numbed at all. Or if they might have like injected the gum, but like not enough to like make my face feel numb. Yeah, I think a filling you can still feel quite a lot. Yeah, it's not, so. not nice. Um, but there we are. Um, Eddie listens in on for uh, uh, listens in on the Eames. Um, I made a note of here, which was wonderful because you asked that question, so it was mm -hmm. in my head. Um, and I, I just I just love Frazier's delivery of the whole. You know, in all my years of the yard, I doubt I'd ever seen a. A fouler night than I investigated the double murder at the old inn on the moors. And the way he just kind of gestures for the door um, at Noel. Um, and yet, yeah, Fraser's face at Ross now. She's like, Inspector, ah, like his his face. Like he just looks, or he already knows, like this is setting the precedent for everything that's going to fall apart here. And yeah. then we, we have the indelible line. Well, I'm glad you come. <laughs> I mean, well, I'm glad you come, and then I could never I'm believe one of our guests could be a murderer. Easy for you to say, <laughs> um, well, which absolutely kills me. That's one of the yeah. things, isn't it? I mean, as I said to you just before we came on air, there's no. This is a single story arc. There is no other story in this entire episode other than we're going to put on a radio production. This is going to yeah. be the plan. So I'm just going to turn the light on it here because it's now getting. A bit dark outside to rely on the sunlight, which is now gone. No, um, no, by all means. There we go. Let's sat sound of light turning on. Sound go. of light closing. Um, <laughs> what was I saying? Oh, yeah, sorry. Um, there's one story arc. So this episode literally is, they're going to put on the production. That's all they do. There is no B-plot. There is no some romance going on. There is nothing to do with Martin. Martin is literally there to listen to it. Yeah. And when they're in 1901, they're there to read through that play but they only read the bits they're going to reread for us later so we know where the mistakes are. And that's kind of almost being patronising to us as viewers, but it's not, because if you didn't know she was going to say multiple murderer, you wouldn't find multiple murderer funny. Very true. Is, I'm glad you can't, because she's already said her line earlier. Um, Mr. Wing obviously goes silent. Um, and obviously you know that she kept he kept saying about Maxine, it's only one line. Look out. He's got a gun. He's so got you a know, gun. as soon as he says there's dyslexia involved, which is, again, patronising to anyone who has dyslexia. Oh, yeah. Big time. But you know Maxine is not going to make that, that line. That line mm. is going to go wrong. And all of it is set up in 1901. You're finding it funny because of the cheese fallout and the Nigel Fairservice quotes. But as soon as you get into that studio, we don't really know what's going to go on until the dentistry problem happens, and then everything falls apart with it. So... It's some ongoing jokes, but the biggest setup, obviously, is in the in the KACL studio, isn't it? It's so true what you've just said. I, I never really thought about that before. We're basically we're basically told the same set of jokes twice in this episode, yeah. but like, yeah, but in in a different way, in a different lens, and they're both equally hilarious. Um, yeah, exactly. You know. Weirdly, like, I mean, I, there's more laugh out loud moments in KACL, but I like the the dynamic of 1901. They're all at the apartment and. There's something think, about that that I like. 
I think a lot of it's Daphne because she's reading those stage directions, which obviously then Noel takes over and makes the mistakes with the what he's doing. Um, I mean, some of Bulldog's lines about Maxine, I've actually written one down. If she had a dollar for every minute she spent on stage. Oh, wait, she does. She does. <laughs> I think she's just rolling some bad yellow. <laughs> well, yeah, she's got a stomach upset. She'll, she'll be late. Why? Well, I think she rolled in some bad jello. Um, some brilliant things again. But yeah, it's, it's all just a build up and, and it keeps building. It keeps yeah. building. Um, speaking of things building, Niles now has to tackle all of these many voices in quick succession. My favourites being, of course, I was taking a breath of air um, as Bruce McAllister. Um, one of my most quoted lines with my friend um, Jack, who who lives in Japan. He's a huge Frasier fan. Um, he and I, for years, were just like, whenever one of us wasn't replying to a message, we would just tw- uh, message the other one. Papa, wow, why are you? just exaggerated delivery of this line. Absolutely ruins me. Um, and I just, yeah, I, it's one of my favourite moments in this episode, I think. I am going to pick on Noel here, though, and I, I hate yeah. to do it. He's got a small Tupperware or washing up bowl sort of size bowl, and it's got some balloons in it. And they're just sitting there on the desk, aren't they? Just normal balloons. Yeah. He's got that massive, great big gas canister of helium to blow up one small balloon for Niles to breathe in. Did he really bring in that gas canister just for that, or did he use it for the other balloons that just happened to not float away? <laughs> yeah, that's a good point, actually. We have helium, but the balloons are still in the in the so tray. I, I, yeah. I want to set aside disbelief and think, okay, the four that are in there, or, or actually, I mean, how air, many do Just you air. Yeah. But there's only four or five in that thing, but you've actually just told me in Trivia Corner earlier, 11 shots. 13 shots? 13. Well, it wasn't 13 balloons. There's about four on the table and the one that he breathes in. Where are the rest of them? <laughs> just yeah. keeps taking up more balloons. Oh, great editing to get them in. I mean, like, listeners appreciate, like, obviously, when we're watching the episode, we don't care about these mistakes, like, at all. But, like, you know, it's fun to just reflect on them and think about them and, and think how they did things. And, you know, yes, I mean, there's yeah, a helium canister there. It takes nothing away from the episode. And I'm sorry if I'm, I sound really picky picking on Oh, that. you it's don't. You one don't. of those things I just look at it and think, but I can clearly see there's not that many there. And then suddenly, Niles picks up this massive bunch. And then he seems to... He's not even holding 13 when he keeps banging them. There just seems yeah. to be more, more going. It goes from the murder weapon being a small revolver to basically an AK-47, like just absolutely gunning people down. Well, that's the other thing. He puts the re- revolver on the table. There's only six shots in that. He doesn't reload it. And plus one, does he? <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. 13 shots. I mean, he does say, you know, McAllister says to stand back to back and stuff. But... Um... I don't know. Maybe the gun is supposed to get reloaded midway. Um, it's this is another this is another project for uh, MK. Corey, I yeah, sent him one before, which I think we've actually got. Have we got to read that out later? Yes, I will let oh. you deliver that one because MK and me. I mean, we had some long conversations, and listeners will find out later in this episode. But yeah, about the unnatural and about times of day. And, and where did you uh, send me that? Can you remember? Did you send me that, that on is- our message? Yeah, on uh, Facebook Messenger to you. Yeah. Okay. Well, it might be if you can no, find it quicker than me. Not, let me send it across to you right now while we're 
still yeah, doing it. You, you, uh, you do that because that will be fantastic. Um, while Steve does that, um, we now have, um, we, well, Studio 5's phone goes off, of course, and, and, and Noel picks it up. But he quickly gets back to it with the, the organ music, which I just think is, is so ridiculously good. Like, of, of all of the, the little sound effects Noel is relying on, the organ music is so authentic, especially for the fact this was like a play from the 40s or whenever they used to do it. I mean, it would be the 40s if it's its 50th anniversary. There's just something them. so hammer horror about them. I was going to say, I'll give you bonus points if you can sing the ice cream theme. <laughs> I can't even remember how it goes, actually. Ding, 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 ding. It's so, so good and so creepy. Um, one thing I've noticed, Steve, is this play only has two acts. Um, it just makes me think yeah. of Hot Ticket. You know, this play needs a third act. <laughs> it really needed a third act, um, which I just think is... Ironic. I presume the first act is everyone coming in and uh, Miss Thorndyke. Don't worry, I'll introduce. I know your guests. And the second one is everyone's dead, which reminds me of Red Dwarf, which Keel really uh, yeah. appreciate from the everyone's dead, Dave. Dave, everyone is dead. Are you trying to tell me everyone's dead? Yes, everyone's <laughs> dead. Which is the opening <laughs> of the entire series in the in the first ever episode. So. Oh, no way! I love that. Yeah. Um. So yeah, the ice cream man pulls up now. Um. Because Nigel Fairservice is mortally wounded on the floor. Um. Never again to revisit his boyhood in Surrey, which is of course devastating. Um. Can you remember how he describes the hedgerows? Is it? Wanton hedgerows with a lambent flame or something like that. So basically, nice. Basically, yeah. While the twilight bathed the hedgerows like a lambent flame. You know what? Um, Every time I hear that line, I think Thomas J. Fallow wrote it because it just sounds like when Gill and uh, Bulldog are mocking Fraser in uh, Slow Tango. Yeah, it really just sounds like I'd actually be willing to say, did David Lloyd write um, Slow Tango? Yeah. That we should we should look into that. Um, my my vessel longs to harbour in the no, the majest, majesty of your um, harbour or something. I can't quite remember it. Um, so Nigel gets shot again. Only graze me, uh, <laughs> which absolutely kills me. Um, such a good line. And then his head is blown clean off um, by a third bullet. Of just the sudden shock of the violence of that act is just hilarious because it's just like a family-friendly mystery, and someone's just literally been decapitated by a bullet. Does that then go to Daphne? Doesn't it? This is turning into a bloodbath, I mean, followed by Martin's. This is why I like TV. You get to see the stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, hello, I'm the ice cream man. Like, honestly, him getting shot, I was crying at this point. Like, it's just... Have you seen that Photoshopped poster of, like, the ice cream man? Yeah. It's, like, it's like a horror. Did you make that? Yeah, probably. <laughs> have you made that? Honestly, absolutely incredible. Um, one of my favourites out there. Um, now, Niles is going to reveal the twist... Only it takes a much darker turn before he gets there and everyone's killed off. Um, now, Miss Thorndike is his mother. Um, well, see, he says, well, it, he, it's, uh, I need to tell you something. I'm not who I, uh, you think I am. I'm not even German. German. Mother. Mother. <laughs> um, mother like, what is going on? And he, he says, like, I want to reveal the dark secret of Nightmare Inn, which I'm gutted we never learn uh, what that is. 
Also, big shades of Psycho here. The fact that like it's an Ian on the Moors yeah. and Thorndike is his mother, um, and he's a bit of a weirdo and he's killing everyone. Um, <laughs> obviously, shades of Psycho there. Um, but yeah, he kills everyone. The litany of which we've had listed in order for us by MK, who is uh, has wonderfully documented that. And now we need to get him as our resident Frasier arms dealer and figure out what kind of gun could be used in this, uh, in this scene. Um, but also, yeah. when we were speaking about the time being cut down <clears throat> towards the end of this, I mean, there's all of those murders and the producer stands there, doesn't he? Does that sort of gesture with his hands to say, you've got to stretch the time out. There's nine minutes left. Mm-hmm. What was going to go on with Nigel Fairservice, Mr. Wing, Hans, Peppo, the McAllister sisters, O'Toole, Carlotta Thorndike, before he realised in nine minutes that was his mother and revealed that, that was the dark secret, was it? Uh, yeah, was and, and, a whirlwind of exposition was going to come our way in nine minutes. But, I mean, I've got no idea. I'd love for people to speculate what the twist is here. Um, presumably it's like an Agatha Christie. They all know each other, um, you know... They've invited the inspector there, I don't know, to kill him. I don't know. I could only think if not, when he's, I mean, he says he's going to introduce him, doesn't he? He says, Miss Thorndike, will you introduce him? And he, obviously, she can't speak. So I know who they are. I will go through the list. And then he asks, starts to ask where they all were. I could only keep thinking of an inspector calls, which I presume you're familiar with. Yes, by uh, J.B. Priestley. Yeah. Um, though so I've, would... never, I've never read it, and I don't actually know the plot, so... Um... You what? I've read it and seen it, both on London and Broadway. At the Broadway stage, Um, and there's actually I think there's either a BBC or ITV drama of it. It's really, really good. I absolutely love it. It was a book, um, although I read it as a play, not as a novel, obviously. Um, But I absolutely love it. I think I don't. I can't remember it's Channel Four. Maybe it was BBC. And it's over a couple of nights, and I think you can still get it on player as well, like an iPlayer or something like that. but yeah, as a small production, and I think I've seen it in London a couple of times, uh, once at the Garrick Theatre, and I thought it was absolutely fantastic. It's just, it is just like Nightmare Inn, you know, there's loads of guests at a dinner party, and then um, an inspector comes around, obviously calls in, and then mm. sort of interrogates them all separately, shows them all a picture, and each one of them looks at the picture, because this girl's died of, I think she drinks bleach in an infirmary, and he, uh, he interrogates every member, and then obviously comes to the conclusion. So uh, maybe yeah, I... we'll read. I've tried not to give too much away, but uh, maybe listeners, if you're interested in Nightmare Inn, give us your thoughts on an Inspector Calls. I'm very intrigued because um, I know it's studied a lot of GCSE now. It's kind of like a go-to GCSE text and has been yeah. for some time. Um, I should really give it give it a watch, give it a read. Um, we've already. My last bullet point was actually about Noel ringing the bell as, as Wing is killed, which we've already said I think is genius. Um, any any kind of final comments about this this episode before we get into the uh, the end of episode gubbins and top tens and all that? You know what? I think one of the main things I need to point out is that Daphne and Niles share no scene in this entire episode. They're not That's in the same. Very, scene at all. very true. Very true. Good 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 thing to end on. Actually, end the review there. Well, it's, a bit of a... it's rare because obviously most of the main cast. If they're in the episode, they will be in a scene together. Niles and Daphne are pretty big together at, at most mm. points throughout the uh, show because obviously Niles is always at KACL at near Vosa at 1901. She's always around somewhere at 1901. He never turns up to 1901 in this episode, therefore never crosses paths with her. Yeah, 
Very, very good. Love that. Um, very true. Uh, I hadn't hadn't noticed that actually. Um, top ten. Is this episode in your top ten of all time Frasier episodes, Steve? Do you know dun, what? Dun 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 dun. dun I'd dun. say it's very, very close. <laughs> oh. Don't think it's in my top ten. I am amazed to hear that. I mean, I would say I'm pleasantly surprised. Eleven, I reckon. Mm. I need to really? write it. I need to write it out properly and actually. You really do, you do. Mine is like cast in iron, as far as I'm concerned. Like nothing can can shake it. Although this podcast does make me get scared sometimes and make me want to change it. Um, I think I'm a little bit like Key in the fact that I think sometimes with places sort of eleven, twelve, thirteen. I reckon I could interchange with seven, eight, nine, ten, etc. Occasionally, yeah, I could yeah. think actually, do you know what? that has risen in my estimation. I enjoyed it more this time. The top five, I'd probably say, have always been pretty consistent. But um, as I'm on here at the moment, I will not release, and I will actually write one. Let me yeah, uh, do that. Um, I can confirm me. to listeners that have probably guessed by now it is in my top ten. I think nice. that is either my fourth or fifth. I think it might be my fifth. Um, I think we've had My Coffee with Niles, um, Travels with Martin, um, Chess Pains, The Innkeepers, Now This. Um, Halfway. I, I don't think we. I don't think another one's come up. Um, are you someone like me who's who has an outright favourite episode that like is like surpasses the others for you personally? I, I will happily reveal, as you've already reviewed it, that my coffee with Niles has always been my favourite episode. Really nice. Set in real time, as you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of that. So pretty much bottle episode, all in all in Navosa. I just love the atmosphere. I'm like you. I love the rain outside, the, the window so moving around. The fact that it's just one conversation. And I'm one of those strange people. I can literally watch films like that and just quite enjoy an episode or a film that is just one long conversation. Although saying that, I actually tried to watch my dinner with Andre. Oh, did you not like it? Absolutely hated it. No! <laughs> I don't even know what it was that I didn't like. I think it's uh, mainly that Andre is kind of insufferable to listen to. Yeah, I just I couldn't get to grips with the characters. I just, mm. yeah, I mean, I think the episode, My Coffee with Niles, far surpasses. I, I definitely agree with you there. I'm so excited to reveal what my outright favourite episode is. Um, I really am, because I don't think any listener... Will be able to. I mean, some who know me very well, and I mean, know my kind of wider interests, might be able to narrow it down a little bit. Um, but it's it's a pretty left field pick, um, and I don't think it'll be many people's top five. So I'll, I'll say that much for certain. Um, but excited to get to that. Um, best at to pick. Who've you got, with, Steve? You know what? I mean, I know I say this every time I've been on here, which is a few times now. It's really difficult. It's really hard. It is. I actually really enjoyed Dan Butler's performance in this. I think he's, oh, I love that. It's probably one of his best performances. And I think season four, you know, it was around the time that Dan was becoming more of a constant sort of cast member, wasn't he? He was more of a regular. He was appearing on promo shots more in season four. And I think he got dropped a bit afterwards. But I think the writers gave him more chance. So I do love his performance. But does he top Kelsey in this? Because Kelsey is outstanding. The accents, the wording how annoying he is with mel yes. um he's kind of a two-way draw but i think i'm gonna go with kelsey 
I love that. And Kelsey was, I've been tossing and turning, trying to think who I'm going to go with here, because Kelsey's amazing. And I think my heart should give it to him. But I've gone with Gil, because for me... Yeah. For me, Gil's quotes and speeches have stuck with me for like 12, 13 years when I first saw this episode. And my friends and I would quote the rumping in the school chums line yeah. school. And, there's just, I, I, and the whole sequence of Cedric and the Ice Cream Man makes me cry every time. So yeah, Listeners are probably absolutely appalled that I didn't mention Edward Hibbert in that and didn't actually consider him as an actor pick. Um, I, you, you are right. Obviously, I completely agree. He is outstanding, and that is probably one of Gill's best performances. Oh, um, without a doubt. It just makes me wish he was in more episodes, you know. Oh, sure. The Impossible Dream was a top 10 episode of mine. So that so Ham Radio is the sixth of my the top 10. Dream. I love The Impossible Dream because it's Gill heavy. Um, I remember you having that chesty tattoo as well. <laughs> oh my god, I'm, I'm Fraser Faglum. Um, Kennedy Burling, Steve. Who would he have voiced were he to appear in a KSCR production of The Nightmare Inn? I think he'd definitely have knocked Maxine's part out of the park. Oh, I think he would have. I think, I think he would have. Look out, he's got a gun. He's I think. That is definitely made for Kennedy. I think seeing him as Ball Craig in the British Gamekeepers just a little bit too on the nose. Um, a little bit on the nose. You know, I think he he could he could lift up Ball Craig in with one finger. So I think he needs to be a uh, he needs to be someone else. Um, before we get to listener mail, all that remains is to play. Whose crane is it anyway? I've got one word for you: mistake. When is you couldn't have, is, couldn't have when, used nug, could you? <laughs> when, <laughs> when is that word? used in this episode it's only used once i can confirm it's a hard one steve these are these are meant to be really hard i think it's o'toole yes <laughs> it's niles as o'toole it was himself and no mistake uh, oh it. steve i bloody love that i love that whose cranes are always so hard i've ever got correct i've Honestly. never got I don't think. No, that's top notch. That is top notch because Key struggles with those as well. And you know they're difficult. They're they're bloody hard. Um, but amazing. Shall we jump over to listener mail this week? Yeah, let's go for it. Let's go. Raz, who's our next caller? Okay, great to hear from so many of you this week. Uh KM Saxon kicks us off. Great podcast, guys. A little info on Freddie traveling alone to Seattle. While he is a little young to be traveling all the way across the country, kids as young as five can travel as an unaccompanied minor and get particular attention from flight attendants throughout the flight. That's insane. Wow. A five-year-old, what are they going to do when they get to the airport and get a cab and, you know, I mean, uh, that's just nuts. But thank you for yeah. letting us know, Game Saxon. Wasn't expecting that. No. Uh, the next one I've got is it, ooh, I'm going to have to try and pronounce this right, Kaimu, Kaimu. That's good enough for me. It says, I've recently started listening to this podcast. You are great. Thanks for the laughs as I do boring chores. Oh, love that. Very love that. And sweet. <laughs> um, we've got a couple of things to read out from Corey this week. Um, so I'm going to get to his uh, his basically amazing piece of investigative journalism for the unnatural uh, at the end of this. But he puts here the first softball game time conundrum. I initially had all my work detail, but didn't want to make poor Will read all of it out. I've saved that work. If all parties are interested, here's the short version of what I found. Please note, a lot of assuming needs to take place. What do you reckon, Steve? Do you reckon we read out the short version or we read out the long version? 
I think we skip to the rest of these and then you read out that long version because okay, he done perfect. the work, he deserves it. <laughs> yeah, I think completely right. Corey deserves his moment in the sun. So, rules of baseball versus softball. Softballs are a greater circumference. Official softball usually has 10 fielders as opposed to baseball with nine. The strikes right. slash balls count still applies to both. There are two types of softball. Fast pitch, the more common pro kind where the pitchers do the windmill pitching. And slow pitch, only one backward motion and is not allowed. Trivia fun bits for ham radio in my top three. Oh, top three. Lovely. And given that it is in that sacred aura for me, I shall not speak ill of this episode. Though I once auditioned for the 39 steps by essentially performing the parts of Nightmare Inn where Niles has to do all the different voices. Brilliant. Incredible. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, I believe that's uh, Good Night Seattle next. It's Good Night Seattle. Ham Radio. Oh, how I've been waiting for this day. Well, we can agree that we've both <laughs> been waiting for this too. Oh, what yeah. can I say? This is a season four highlight for me and definitely in my own personal top 10. So another one. I love a KACL gang episode and Frazier stepping into the role of overbearing director rings perfectly true for his character. Nas's increasing frustration and Bulldog's stage fright are a joy to watch, but Gil absolutely steals the show for me, as I'm sure others would agree. Favourite line is impossible to pick. How could you pick just one from classics like, he's got a nug, multiple murbaba, which is spelt that way, the ice cream <laughs> could the McAllister sisters stand back-to-back, -back, I'm sure, on bullets and, hi-ho, I'm Nigel's brother Cedric. <laughs> the only bit that doesn't sit right with me is the name Peppo the Dwarf and the high-pitched helium voice that Niles does. It's dated and a bit uncomfortable to watch. Aside from that, this is gold standard Frasier. Mm, perfect comment there, because as is in keeping with this podcast, we can love an episode, but obviously reflect on the things that are dated and maybe don't quite work, and I definitely agree there. Um, who in a box says great episode lads so glad the podcast can continue with Steve filling in when needed I can get my fix more often and Steve is a fantastic addition and always has a line from the show to reference you bloody do Steve you certainly do I Thank wanted to touch on the uh, <laughs> I wanted to touch on the tipping culture in America. I've worked as a cook for a few years and have never received tips until recently at my last two jobs. There was a pool that was split in the kitchen. I don't I don't know the numbers on it, but as part but it's part of the actual tips and not an applied gratuity. But as far as not getting tips, cooks also have typically had higher higher hourly pay, which is why they often don't get tips. It's all pretty silly system and I think sort of passes things off to the customer to pay this person's wages. In general though, I have no issue with tipping and will always give them except when I purchase something the point of sale like a coffee or even ordering food from a restaurant that has no actual service i will typically only tip a dollar or two since i don't feel as though i'm getting any extra service well just some ramblings about my experiences with tips interested to know how others feel about it great comment great comment thank you who in yeah. the box i say thanks for the compliments and always interesting to know uh mm. next up is Cam winston i have to <gasps> read it like that sorry hammy you have Howdy to. Team. Welcome to another edition of Listener Mail, Ham Radio, my all-time number two episode. I wonder what his number oh, one is. Oh, wow. Number What's two? Number one. I look forward to finding out. Oh, I reckon Today... it's Ski Lodge. I'm going to get my bet in there. Mm -hmm. No, I'm going to think about it. Okay. Uh, today, I'm going to skip my own comments and attribute my slot to my good pal, Little Owlet in the Glen. To which, without being rude, I want to say, who the hell are you? <laughs> <laughs> I believe that is our, our lovely friend Rachel. Bless her as she doesn't have a Reddit account, but wanted to add some thoughts. So see below. Congrats on completing your PhD, Dr. Will, and congrats on being a lawyer, Key. You must be very proud. See what I did there? <laughs> Just wanted to give you some information regarding tipping here in the US. In the US, while we do have a federal nationwide minimum wage of $7.25 an hour, with some states being higher, that minimum wage does not apply to tipped employees. Thus, a server, bartender and other tipped 
employees can technically be paid as little Jesus. as an hour. That is appalling. That is terrible. Uh, yeah. So when they get their paycheck on the week after having worked 40 hours, their paycheck before taxes might be around $192, and what is assumed that they make up the rest in tips, sometimes between 180 and 240 a shift. Some employees can earn up to 30 grand uh, per year on tips. That's a lot of money, but... That is a lot of money. ...if they're earning 420 an hour. Yeah. Having said all that, it probably speaks to a broader problem to do with the labour in the United States than anything else. For instance, I made more when I was a bartender than I did when I was a first-year high school teacher or a low-level bank manager. Wow. On a side note, I studied abroad at Harlaxton College, mm. where Liam Neeson and Catherine Zeta-Jones shot The Haunting in Grantham, Lincolnshire. I drove through nice. there uh, a couple of days ago. Oh, yeah. While I was there, my classmates and I, all from the Midwest, tried to get people to explain when to tip and when not to in Britain. Some told us it was considered rude and we should never do it. Some said we should only do it in certain kinds of restaurants. And one hilarious guy at Pizza Hut said, I'll happily take your money, leave as much as you want, and I'll promise not to be offended by how much you leave. We left each of these conversations more and more confused, so I'd love for you gentlemen to explain it to <laughs> Love the podcast. Thanks so much for doing it. And remember, if you want to see more BB Glazer, please consider you... Please consider guest hosting another episode of Noisy Fulfillment with me. Lovely, lovely stuff from Rach there. So, so good. Um, yeah, tipping tipping's a weird one. I mean, if if I'm having food at a pub or a bar or a restaurant, I will tip. Um, if I'm just getting drinks at a bar, I you know, say I've had, I don't know, three cocktails or something, I'll probably leave a tip then as well. If I just get one cocktail and pay for it, I probably won't. Um Beyond that, there's not that many times where we tip. I don't know. People are very much a keep the change kind of person. Yeah, yeah. How much that that might sound rude to certain people working in different industries. I mean, if if I went to a bar, I don't know. This is going a long way back. Two drinks came to nine pounds seventy, which it never would now. Yeah. Um, It'd be a case of keep the change. I'm not bothered. Thirty p. I don't need change in my pocket. You know, if it came to eight quid. I'd probably do the same. Do you know what I mean? I'm not too bothered. You know, if it was two or three drinks and I'm getting £10 and I'm getting change, I'm not bothered. Three drinks for £10 would be cheap still. Um, if I get a takeaway, as soon as the Chinese, you know, takeaway turns up, if they say it's 36 quid and I'm going to give them two £20 notes, keep the change. You've driven here. And I know that it, having done that job once in the past, delivering pizzas for Pizza Hut a long time ago, it's not a great job. And... Some people might like it, but those tips make up a hell of a lot of money. You're paying your own fuel, you're paying your own car insurance, everything's coming out of you and you're getting an hourly wage, which, you know, plus maybe 50p for delivering a pizza. It's not worth it. Well, that's when it was back then, 20 odd years ago for me now. But, you know, those tips, people saying, I'll keep the change, keep the change. Suddenly you realise I've delivered quite a lot here and I've got 40, 50 quid extra in cash. You know, it's a lifeline. It's definitely a lifeline for certain people and, and, you know, we should do it. Absolutely, completely forgot about like delivery, you know, drivers and takeaway. That's also a big, uh, big time to do it. But yeah, the kind of the food service industry is probably the the ninety percent bulk of where tipping, you know, comes mm. here. You know, in 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 America and stuff, you know, you often have like concierges and and bellboys and bell women and people taking your rest your bags to rooms and stuff. I don't know. I've never been to anywhere fancy enough to have that in the UK. And if I did, would they expect a tip or not? I have no idea. Um, so. If the, oh yeah, I've got no idea. Um, I, think, I think 
think I'd be the same as you. There's actually a, there's an episode I watched of, sorry to go off on my here, Seinfeld the other day, and I can't remember which one it is. I think it's, it might be called The Pilot, and it's when uh, Jerry and Elaine are getting on a flight, and they go to check their baggage, and she says, uh, he said, have you got any cash? I'm going to tip the, the guy who's putting the baggage on the plane. And she says, well, how much do you want? And he says, I don't know, give me give me $20. And I think she says, no, give him 10 she, He goes, well, how much is it a bag? We're giving them three bags, you know, $5 a bag. Maybe I should give them 15 well, they argue about it for a while, and then the guy's sitting there waiting, and Jerry says, well, we just ask him, how much do you get? And the guy says, well, it's $5 a bag. Elaine doesn't want to pay $5 a bag. So Jerry gives 10, and uh, Jerry says, well, here's 10 for my bag. So he puts his two bags onto the right plane. He looks at Elaine's bag as he walks away, and she goes, and that one can go to Hawaii, and just throws it somewhere else, and hers never no comes back, loses her luggage. And uh, yeah, maybe that's why we should tip people more often. <laughs> There we go. A cautionary tale. Um, be careful who we tip. Um, but yeah, lovely. Thank you, MK. Um, sorry, thank you, Habish, for ceding your space um, to the uh, to the lovely um, Rachel there for a comment. Um, Org4 says, I'm here to say, perhaps uh, heretically, that I don't like Ham Radio very much. I cringe through the whole first half. The way he treats the professional actor is just insufferable, and in general, the problems are all so exaggerated. The characters become absurd parodies of themselves rather than the fun sitcom folks we know and love. When they perform the radio show, I always enjoy it, but the tedious build-up overshadows the amusing part. I never put on Ham Radio unless I'm doing a full watch. So there we go. It's not a fan favorite for everyone, and, you know, more power to you for that opinion. Yeah, definitely, uh, definitely interesting to know that some people don't find it the best episode. But, mm. uh, 77 Ham Radio, often touted as one of the classics, but even though I enjoy it and thought it was a fantastic episode, it's not quite there for me. Reenacting a radio play that eventually falls apart in a hilarious manner is a great idea and executed so well that it never becomes a bore. Throughout the episode, I found myself laughing almost constantly. There we go. Thank you, Reckley. And thank you, everyone who wrote in this week. Sorry it's been so long between episodes uh, as of late. We are hopeful that that will no longer be the case going forward. So from listening to this episode onwards, hopefully we'll be back to once a week um, or some some form of that. Uh, we're, I'm really desperate to, to get back into the rhythm. So stay with us. Uh, next you, time um, around... It, well, sorry, what are you going to say, today? Do you, you want to read out the whole of MK's oh. explanation? MK's gonna, MK's gonna kill me. Um, give you for that. <laughs> thank you for telling me. MK, you wonderful man. You get pride of place at the end of this episode. Let me begin. So we this began by Steve and I wondering when the baseball game <laughs> in the unnatural takes place. Because there's a lot of mixed time. It's the middle of the day. We don't know what day of the week it is. So here we go. Th these are MK's words. The initial game where Ros and Bulldog enter the booth with dirty jerseys seems to take place on a Thursday because A, Frazier says Freddie is coming to visit him, quote, for the weekend, and B, in the following scene where Freddie is at KACL, Frazier says, Ros and I have a show to prepare for, and I'm pretty sure Frazier slash Bulldog don't do their shows on the weekends, at least not Frazier. Bulldog might due to sports. Bulldog tells Freddie he's bringing in his gong, so Bulldog also seems to be prepping for a show. C, in the same scene, Roz claims to be on crutches because she had too many drinks after celebrating the big win, and we hear of no other games. D, so this scene seems to be on Friday. Two, 
If the first game is on Thursday, the timing is suspect, but even though in the initial scene Fraser is calling Microsoft from KACL, other than being dressed in a suit and at KACL, we have no other clues that he just finished a show. No calls, no Roz, etc. Just him on the phone. A. It's impossible he stayed for a time after his show to research who, where to call at Microsoft, but Steve's correct that a softball game can take a while. It's a full nine innings, two and a half to three hours isn't unreasonable, but many recreational leagues in the US only have six innings games. So again, it's possible the game only lasted one and a half to two hours. B. So if the game happened after Frazier's show, it means that at best, Ross had to change and rush over to wherever the game was, in a major city no less, play in the full game, then get back to KACL whilst Frazier was still milling about for all that time, only just making the Microsoft phone call at the end of that time period. And C, if the game happened... Th- happened Thursday before Frazier's show, then yes, it's very odd timing for a recreational league for, uh, game for people who aren't retired. Not impossible, but very unlikely for normal adults unless it was a specific radio station league that took into account time slots and whatnot. C, in the same scene with a dirty, with a dirty jersey, Roz does pick up a clipboard which may attempt to convey that they are going to do a show soon. So conclusion, for things to make sense, it would have to be a radio station league, assumedly so since all of the KACL team are KACL employees, that specifically agreed to play at whatever time were were available to fit schedules, which maybe were a lot of lunchtime games. And to ensure that Roz could get back in time for this show, it's also likely there were time limits placed on games. Round of applause for MK there. Superb investigating. I'm slightly regret having to read that out, already having an extraordinarily painful throat today. Um, but it was worth it for that investigation. That's like a Fraser explanation, isn't it? In short, yes. He attended. <laughs> Try and keep your answer short, Corey. Trust me, he did. <laughs> <laughs> um, MK, you are a gift, a wonderful man. So thank you for that. Next week, we'll be back with three dates and a breakup, which I believe we are going to do as a single episode. We'll put two, both parts together, um, but it will probably be a usual length episode. Um, We're just going to condense the review in some ways. Um, Steve, it's been a freaking pleasure to have you on this week to talk through Ham Radio. You're a wonderful man for stepping in. You will be back. You are, you know, now our our third co-host and you will be back on. So, Thank you for joining me today. Always a pleasure and never a chore. Like I say, you know, thank you to Hamish. Thank you to Corey. I can't list everyone because, you know, there's a lot of people in listener mail, but thanks for welcoming me on board as such and uh, putting up with my uh, over-quoting and references to Seinfeld or Friends or <laughs> I don't know, other random things that I want to talk about when uh, you might not want to hear it. But, uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks for everything. And uh, thanks for listening. You know, thanks for keeping it, keeping going with us. Absolutely. Um, Other than that, I've been Will. And I have been Nigel's brother, Cedric. (laughs) Thank you very much for listening to Weird Listening. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling tossed salads and scrambled eggs. Oh, my. And maybe I seem a bit confused. Yeah, maybe. But I got you, pegs. But I don't know what to do with those tossed salads and scrambled eggs.